This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. And he went to Choron, right? So every story that you hear about the Baal Shem Tov has the derech in it. If there's a wagon and the Baal Shem Tov in it, you know, Alexei, the driver, he waves his little handkerchief, and all of a sudden they're, they're somewhere else, you know? It's just like they, they're over here, and then all of a sudden they're over there. Right? That's what it seems. The driver's name was Alexei, according to the storybook, yeah. But he always, he always jumped. I don't know for sure. But Kitsu Tadera literally means Kopat Tadera, meaning he jumped over the road. That's what it seems to be. But the problem is, is that... The the Kfit Tzedarech over here, what's going on? The Kfit Tzedarech over here by Yaakovinu is not like any other Kfit Tzedarech in the world. There's never been a Kfit Tzedarech like this. So, why is this Kfit Tzedarech different? Let, let's see what Rashi says. Rashi says in Pasuk Yud Aleph and Yud Zion, Yud Aleph says instead of the normal way of Kfit Tzedarech, the way it goes, Kapsa Lo Ha'aretz, the land jumped up and instead of being there, the land came to where he was. That's strange. Why would it be that Kitzadar works that way? It's not that you're going like that, rather the land comes to you. Why is it this way by Yaakovinu and it's different by the Baal Shem Tov? What's the difference? What? Wrinkle and time. Wrinkle and time. Very good. The actual bit. okay, regardless. Madame Langle did not get this entirely correct. Why is it so so why is it so different? So here's the answer. Yaakov just spent sixty three years of his life with Yaakovinu. With Yitzhakovino, I'm sorry, and Rip Kinu. Sixty three years of his life. Obviously with the greatest city in the world. Fourteen years he spent with Aver. Shame it already passed away, unfortunately. But he's 14 years with Aver. He's with Sadiqim his entire life, 77 years of his life. He's been with Sadiqim the entire time. How is he going to survive the next 20 with Lavan? What's he going to do? He's going to live in Haran, and he's going to be with Lavan, this evil, evil person. What in the world, how in the world is he supposed to do it? How do you do it when your housemate, when your future father-in-law is the most evil person, and somebody who does, he doesn't, you don't even know how evil he is. What are you supposed to do in that type of a situation? Somebody who works for Satan, what are you supposed to do? So Ramosha Feinstein has an unreal way of looking at this. He says, an Ish Shalom. If you're a good person, you do the right things, you can be Zoha to have the Shekhinah go with you wherever you go. It's not that you're jumping to where the Shechina is. That any time you need a jump start, you just bring yourself back to Eretz Yisrael, put yourself back in the yeshiva for a little bit, get that jump start going, and then you, you go back. No. Wherever you are, even in Trefa America, that's how Ramosha puts it, you still have the ability to pull out all the Kedusha from the other places and bring it to you. You can have that Malcolm Kaddish and bring it wherever you are. You don't have to be on Haramoria in order to connect with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. You could be standing in Haran, turn around, and want to be in Haramoria, and Haramoria will jump to you. It will go underneath your feet, and it will be as if you're in that Makam Kaddish. It's just the opposite of what you would have thought. That's the idea behind this whole sumam, that ladder where his feet were on the ground and he saw in the dream, but Rosho Magia Shemaima, that wherever you are in the land, if your head is in Shemaim, you don't have any problems whatsoever. It's like MasterCard. It's wherever you want to be. That's, a, that's the way you'd be able to remember it. And that's where the Kedusha would be. Says Rav Shor, it's an Eitzah, it's like an advice. You have to feel like your real Makam, where you belong, is that Makam HaKodesh, that place that's always Shemayim, to be by the base of Mekdash, and then Malachim are Olim the Yordim Bo. 
Malachim are going up and down you, the Malachim are in you, you're still connected. No matter where you are, no matter how far down you've gone, I don't care if you're in the worst part of the west side of Chicago, the absolute worst part, if you connect, if you have your head in the right place, makes no difference, you're in a Malachim Kaddish. And Rav Moshe was really using this as like a, t- a telltale. Those in Europe that think that they can't come to America, who think that there's no way they'll be able to survive, that maybe, maybe not, says Rav Moshe. But let me say, if you're here, if you have to come here, you'll be okay. Just have that Malcolm Kaddish come to you instead of thinking, oh, I wish I was in that Malcolm Kaddish and try to recharge yourself by going there. You don't need it. Have it here. That's the first part. What do Yaakov see in his dream? What do you see in his dream? Malcolm going up and down. There is an unreal Midrash Tanchuma. And I looked through it last night. It's in the beginning of the Midrash Tanchuma. Mama's in the beginning of the Parsha. And it is so worth seeing. So unbelievably worth seeing. One of the best Medrashay Tankuma I've ever seen. He says that he saw the Malach of each ghost going up the ladder. He saw the Malach of Babel climbing up 70 rungs of the ladder. Went up 70 rungs for the 70 years that were in Gullah's Babel. And then the Malach fell. That Malach fell. The Malach of Babel. Then he saw the Malach of Modai get up there. It climbed up 52 rungs of the ladder. 52 altogether. And again, the Malach fell. Then he saw, then he saw Yavon. Yavon. Yavan's Malach went a hundred steps up the ladder. That's a lot. But after a hundred steps, the Malach of Yavan fell. And then Yaakovina is looking, and he sees the Malach of Edom. The Malach of Edom goes up, and he just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And Yaakovina can't count that far. He's going past the clouds, all the way, all the way up to Shemayim. And Yaakovina is scared. He says, oh, hey, maybe he's never going to fall. Maybe the Malach of Edom is never going to fall. And the Karsh Baruch Hu answers him and says, he will fall. I'll throw him down myself, says the Karsh Baruch Hu. I'm going to take the Malach of Edom, I'm going to throw him down to the ground, and I'll make sure that Ben Israel is going to get out of that gulos. And then the Karsh Baruch Hu turns to Yaakov and he says to him, Loma Inatola, why don't you go up? Why don't you climb the ladder? Just Yaakov, go up the ladder, climb up the ladder, see how far you can go. And Yaakov said, I can't. Karsh Baruch Hu said to him, why? He said, Karsh Baruch Hu, I'm scared. I'm scared. Can you believe that? Yaakovina says, I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm going to fall. And I don't want to fall. So Kaddish Baruch Hu says to him, don't worry. I swear to you, you will not fall. You will not fall. I'll take care of you. You won't fall. But Yaakovina didn't believe him. He didn't trust in a Kaddish Baruch Hu, says the Medrash. He says, no, I'm not going to. I don't want to go up. And a Kaddish Baruch Hu told him, had you gone up, had you listened to me, then none of your children would have gotten gullus. You never would have been in exile. You would have been in charge and everything would have been okay. But now, your children will be mishubed to those four gullies. And Edom is going to be a long time, and then I'll have to go and save them. And Akash Baruch says, at the end, I'll go ahead and save them. And it's a Pelha. Why wouldn't Yaakovinu go up? Can you imagine? You're seeing this in dream. Akash Baruch was telling you, go up the ladder, and you're not going to go? What's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you go up the ladder? It's an unbelievable Pelha. Especially Yaakovinu, the Bechir Shabbos, the greatest of the Avos HaKadoshim. He's an Av. Who wouldn't have done that if Akash Baruch told you to go up? And yet Yaakovinu doesn't. And the Medrash gives us a punishment for Yaakov Avinu. While the Zohar brings this Medrash and says it's a praise for Yaakov Avinu. It's a praise that Yaakov Avinu did the greatest thing for Klai Yisrael. And the question is, why? Where in the world was the Tikkun? How in the world? And the Zohar says, because look at the end. At the very end, what does it say after he saw the dream of the ladder? B'nei Hashem Nitzav Alav. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was standing over him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was standing on top of him. What does that mean? What does that mean? What, what came from this decision? This is revulsion. I'm telling you, I, I, I love revulsion sometimes. I've got two of them th- this week. It's just unbelievable ideas. Here's the idea. Yaakov knew that in future generations, there were going to be people that can't pull themselves out of the garbage that they put themselves in. 
They're going to make bad decisions. They're going to make wrong decisions. And they're going to throw themselves down to the dust of the earth. They're not going to be able to pick themselves up. And Yaakov was filled with rachamim for these people. And he said, how can I let these people sit in the dust? Maybe they won't be able to even start climbing the ladder. Maybe they won't be with me. I'm going to be able to climb the ladder. But these people, who knows what's going to be with them? Who knows what's going to end up happening with them? I'm not going to be able to pull them up. I'm not going to be able to lift them up because I won't be able to do it. Yaakov felt like a father with the most rebellious child you can imagine. A father who sp- a son who spits in his father's face, kicks him in the shins, starts punching him, starts doing all these things to him. And the father just says, like, listen, just, just calm down a little bit. He keeps reaching down and says, give me your hand. Just give me your hand. I'll help you. Just give me your hand. Yaakovino asked, instead of a Kaddish Baruch instead of me going up, how about you come down? You bring yourselves down to me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, bring yourself down and help me out. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu does that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes all the way down, all the way down to a sleeping Yaakov Avinu. To Vayishkav Yaakov, Yaakov is lying in the dust, on par with the rocks of the ground. Even that far, the Kis Yaakov comes all the way down, and that's Vinei Hashem Nitzavalov. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because Yaakov Avinu decided, it's better instead of me having to climb up, it's better that HaKadosh Baruch Hu just comes down and gives me a little bit of help. That's Vinay Hashem Nitzavalov. Yaakovino awoke and realized that the Kis Yaakov, due to that dream, is going to be able to rest upon everyone. Everyone in Klai Yisrael. Even the lowest of the low, even the lowest person, the person who has done the worst mistakes, the most evil mistakes, even that person will be hit by the Kis Yaakov. And he said, Banochi lo yadati. I had no idea that a Kodesh Baruch Hu was that powerful. I had no idea that a Kodesh Baruch Hu was going to be that way. That's just then. What does he do? He makes matzeva, and he pulls out a thing of oil. Where did this oil come from? Eliphaz took everything from him. Eliphaz beat him up and left him for dead and took everything from him. So where did he have oil from? Two answers. The Panach Raza says he had a staff left. In the staff, it was hollow. And he always had oil there to be able to burn in case he wanted to learn at night. That was one thing that he had. It came from there. But the measure says it came from Shemayim. From Shemayim, a pach of oil came down. That pach of oil ay, 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 is the same thing as the pachim kitanim. The pachim kitanim. Those small jars that he went back for when he met with the Malach is the same thing as the pach that was found in the base of Mikdash. When they were looking for oil and they found that pach, that little pach is the same pach as the pach of is the same pach that he got right over here. Tafka at that point is when he got the concept of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, where a Kaddish Baruch who reaches down to us, he has a hand that's coming down from Shemaim according to the Hasidish farm, reaching down from Shemaim, telling us, You want me? I'm here for you. I'll pull you up. I'll show you the light. I'll take a light and I'll shine it for you in the middle of the darkness at the time when the, when the night is the longest. I'm going to shine it down for you. I'm going to show you. There's so much that you can get out of Gullus. So much that you can do. And then, Revol Yashif. I don't understand what I would do without Revol Yashif. If Revol Yashif wasn't here, I mean, I grant, okay, he's, a, he's 100 years old, we have no real shaykhs with him. I'm telling you, he penetrates your heart. You never get to see stuff from Revol Yashif because he's a quiet person. He never wrote anything down. People are writing down his shiram now. It's unreal what Revol Yashif says. Unreal what he says. He says the following. He says, this whole Parsha is a mafteach for Gullus. It's called Bayetze. And he left. When we leave Eretz Yisrael, when we go out into Gullus, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to read this Parsha. Now, I want you to think. 
Yitzchak Avinu, according to Ramban, was unbelievably rich. Unbelievably rich. The Ibn Ezra argues, but they, the Ramban throws him under the bus. This is ridiculous. Yitzchak Avinu was unreal how rich he was. Me'asha'arin, the Pasuk says about him, he was building wells, he had servants, he had all these huge, uh, unbelievable amounts of things. Unbelievably rich. For all 77 years of Yaakov Avinu's life, he never was want for anything. He had everything he could possibly imagine. Everything. And now, Chazal even tell us, it's a Rashi, that people said better to have the dung of the animals of Yitzchak Avinu than to have the gold and the silver of Avimelech. I've never seen the gold and silver of Avimelech, but I can't imagine the dung is that much better. But it was. It was just full of bracha. Unbelievably full of bracha. And they were able to have that, and that was right there. And now after Eliphaz, Eliphaz came by, he took everything from Yaakov Avinu. He had nothing left. Nothing left. He was beaten up entirely. Beaten up entirely. And he had absolutely nothing left. And he goes to sleep with what as a pillow? Everybody knows. Twelve rocks. Who goes to sleep with rocks as their pillow? We're talking about a pampered guy. Okay, granted, for 14 years he never slept in Yeshiva Shem Be'ever. Okay, but he got everything that he could possibly want. And where was he going? He's going to a place... So he's trying to go away from his murdering brother. He had to run away from that land where his father lived. Go to a land where his, his uncle was living, who's supposed to be this evil person in a land full of Tuma, and run away from everything. It's just, can you feel the Hester upon him any, anymore? Can you feel the, the fact that a Baruch has turned your face on you? And then as he's leaving from his murdering brother to go to a, to a, um, a, you know, a, a, a liar and a cheat and a thief, as he's going there, Eliphaz comes and beats him up and takes away all his money. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just sitting there. Like, God, what do you want from me? Are you joking? Like, well, what is this? Well, what are you beating me up for? What do I need this for? So he dreams. In the same way that we have this idea of God turning his back on us, and saying, I'm not here for you anymore. The way we think that God is not here, God doesn't care, God is not around. The same way that's what Yaakov thought, and he dreams. And he sees angels. And he sees angels of Eretzisol going up the ladder, angels of Kutzlarz going down the ladder. Eretzisol is a land of Nisim Gluyim. Nisim Gluyim. Outright miracles. We're not Zohar to them right now. But in the times of the Avos, you can imagine. These Nisim were happening all the time. Well, Kutzlarz is all about the Nisim Nisim The hidden miracles that we don't really see. We have Malachim with us at all times. But we never get to see them. Never. The first time the Yaakov saw the Malachim that were with him, does anybody remember? The very, very end of the Parsha. The very, very end. When he comes back to Eretz Yisrael, he sees Malachai Elohim. He sees the Machane Elohimze, Vayikro Hashem HaMakomahu, Machanoim. That's what he says at the very end of the Parsha. But when he's going, he doesn't see them when he's awake. When you're in Chutzlaretz, you don't see the Malachim. But they're there. And yet, while he's in, he's in Chutzlaretz, he has Kfitza Derech happen to him, which is awesome in and of itself. Just taking a step and be like, oh my gosh, where am I right now? Number two, the sun sets early where he was. Twelve stones turned into one. And you found oil that all of a sudden came to you from Shemaim. Huge miracles. Unbelievable miracles. And yet, Eliphaz still took his money. And yet, God didn't make the rock softer. Can you imagine? Yaakovino is sitting there. He wakes up in the morning and he sees all the twelve rocks become one. He's like, wow, what a crazy miracle. You couldn't have made it a little softer? You couldn't have made it like, just make a little bit of moss grow on it? So I wasn't sleeping on a rock all night long? But no. We don't understand the miracles that God does for us. Yaakov lives his life in this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad gullus. And he sits there and he says, 
the Nisim are surrounded by Tsar. The miracles that he sees are surrounded by unbelievable pain. Unbelievable pain. And that's the Gadol Ador looking at the situation and saying, if you look carefully, God is with you in every step you take. But every step you take, as much as God gives you, he also gives you a posh. And he says to you, no, that's not what I want. That's not why I gave you that money. That's not why I allowed that thing to happen to you. It's why. I'm, I'm helping you, says the Kurdish Baruch You just don't get it yet. I'm giving you this sour. I'm giving you these Yisurim for a reason. You just don't get it yet. Even though it's not Baboker Chazdecha yet. Emunas Chavalelos applies. We still have the Amuna Valelos. We have the Amuna that's sitting there right now while we're still in the night. We're still in the darkness. Yaakov, you know, made Maris. He's the one that davens in the darkness. He's there. You just don't see him yet. But I swear to you, he's there. And if only you could see it, you'd see the Malachim every single night going up and coming back down. You'd see your Neshama that's begging you to do what you really, really want to do. It's there. But those Malachim are hard to see. It's life of Tsar, but miracles within the Tsar. Miracles that we don't always get to see, we're not always privy to. I'll tell you something awesome. The Ulam lose Shema Ir Larishona. He called the city Base Hail in Pasukutes, but the name of the city was Luz. Anybody remember what Luz was from? Luz is a famous city. Luz, no one ever dies in Luz. Sota, Memvavam Abeis, says that Luz was a city where not a single person ever died. The Gemara goes through a whole story. Nobody died in the city of Luz. Now, can you imagine what the real estate must have cost like in Luz? Malchamavis doesn't go there. Everybody wants to live there. It probably cost a billion dollars just for four Amos. For every four Amos that you could get into in Luz, it was impossible to get to. You had to be able to tunnel under. It was a crazy place to get to. People didn't get to Luz. But isn't it crazy? There's no mention of Luz anywhere today. Has anybody ever heard of it? In fact, if you hear about a city called Luz, you'd be like, come on, no way that could exist. But Luz existed, according to Chazal. There was a city called Luz in which people did not die. So where is it today? If people don't die, you'd expect them to be here today. It's a Gemara in Sukkah. The Gemara in Sukkah is in Dapnun Gemomadalaf. It says, Maybe you've seen it. You for sure know the Gemara. Shlomo Melech saw the Malach Amavis and asked the Malach Amavis, why do you look so sad? I guess if I was the Malach Amavis, I would be sad all the time. But Shlomo Melech apparently knew that he wasn't always sad. So he looked at the Malach Amavis and said, what's going on? And he said, oh, there are two people here. I'm supposed to kill them, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to kill them. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. So Shlomo Melech said, sent a message to Ben Yovin, his right-hand man, said, send these two guys all the way to another city, to a different city all the way out there, far, far away. So Ben Yovin Yada hired the, the, these camels, these flying camels or whatever it is, sent these guys all the way over to that other city, and Shlomo Melech was relieved. The next day he sees the Malachim I don't know if it was a daily occurrence, but he saw the Malachim and he's like, why do you look so happy? So he said, remember those two guys? Well, he sent them right to the place that I was supposed to kill them at. I had no idea how I was going to get them there, but... Figured it all out, and thank God I was able to kill him. Everything was all done. The Gemara ends off with Raglin, the Barnash, Inun, Orvin, Mike. The legs of a person, they are your own, your own Orvin. They are your Orif. They bring you to where you're supposed to go when it comes to death. When it comes to death. So they say about the city of Luz, and here's the Pshat. Somehow, HaKadosh Baruch made them leave the city of Luz when they were all supposed to die. Somehow something happened. Maybe it was a fire drill. I have absolutely no idea. But somehow everybody in the city of Luz left... And now we have no idea where that city is. Absolutely no idea where that city is. But it's all gone. The Malach Mavis wasn't there. You'd think you would never leave such a place. But it's not there anymore. There is no such city of Luz anymore. It's somewhere in Eretz Yisrael. Somewhere in Eretz Yisrael, there's this guy who's living on a land who's 158, and he's sitting there, he's like, this is awesome land. And until he goes visits his relatives in Haifa, he's not going to die. 
he won't die. But until that point, until we figure out where it is, where the city of Luz is, for now it's nowhere. But Yaakovina says, now it's called Base El. Ulam Luz, Shemir Lurishona, says Yaakovinu, there's another place like Luz. It's called Bezel. You know what Bezel is? You want to be able to cheat death? You want to get around the Malachamavis? You learn Torah, and I guarantee you the Malachamavis won't be able to affect you. Gemara Shabbos, Taplamin and Mabez, Dovin on the last day of his life, was learning Torah, and the Malachamavis wasn't able to get to him. Eventually, the Malachamavis made a tree shake. That Dovin Melch stopped learning for a second, and as he stopped learning, that's when the Malachamavis got him. The Gemara Moit Cotton, it's Dakop Chesim Mabez. Makos, Yudam and Aleph both bring from Rav Chista. The Rav Chista had the exact same story happen. The Malachamavis couldn't get him because Rav Chista didn't stop learning. And in the end, you died. Bab Metziah, Pezayin Amalaf, with Rabba Bar Nachmini, who was sitting on a rock in the middle of a forest learning. The Malachamavis wanted to kill him? Couldn't. The only way for him to kill him was to get him to stop learning, to stop doing something. Now, says Yaakovinu, the only way to free yourself from the Malachamavis is to be Dabak and Hashem. I'm really sorry. That's the way it goes. It's the only way to cheat death. The only way you can get around it. There's no just a place you can go anymore. It's not like Dave and Buster. It's like, you sit there for a while. Like, oh, I feel like I'm young again. No, it's not a fountain of youth. There's no such thing anymore. It's all gone. Because a Kurdish bar who knows that that's not the best thing for you. Because if you do that, then eventually you're going to be caught up in your taivas. And you're never going to survive. You're never going to last. So now we have base out. So what are Yaakov going to do? What are Yaakov going to do? Fourteen years, he worked to get two wives, he ended up getting four altogether, right? Four wives altogether. But he worked for two wives for 14 years. He had 24 kids in a total of seven years. That's impressive by any account. I don't care how many wives you have. But 24 kids, because you count every kid, not including Benjamin, but you include Dina. And there are twin sisters born with each one of them, so there are 12 kids born, right? Dina counts as one of them, and twins. 12 plus 12, I'm pretty sure is 24. And he's ready to go. He's ready to go. He says to Lavan, you know, I'm out. I, I think I'm going to go out now. But then he stays on for another six years at the behest of Lavan of Russia. Lavan says to him, how do you go yet? Don't you want to make some money for yourself? You're going to go back with nothing. Because until now, he's just working for Lavan. He didn't have any money. He said, you sure you want to go back to Yisgavin without any money? Why don't you make some money and then you go back? Yaakovino understood. Yaakovino understood that part of what he's supposed to do is, okay, go do this. So he suggests something. He says to Lavan, give me all the spotted reddened and marked sheep. All the sheep that are messed up. Give me all of those, and you keep all the normal sheep. And he gets even further, says Yaakovino. You give me all the normal sheep, and all those spotted and red and striped and everything else that happens from those normal sheep, those are the ones that I keep. I'll keep the freaks. You get all the normal ones. And Lovin's like, That's crazy. That's like the best deal in the world for me. Not a problem whatsoever, says Lovin. I'm all for that. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to go ahead and do it. So Yaakovina makes a deal. Then it's so strange. He takes sticks. He takes sticks. And he strips them. And he does all these things to them. And he puts it by the sheep. Either in the water or by the ground. He puts it all around there. And he shows it over to the people. Shows it to the people, to the sheep, I'm sorry. And the sheep, while they're looking at that, they get warmed up. And somehow all the babies that are born from all those normal sheep are striped or spotted, or brown, or red, or all the weird sheep, all the freaks, all the, all the recessive genes came out from those sticks that he planted in the ground. Okay. Was Yaakovino allowed to do that? You allowed to do such a thing? I mean, technically, it looks like big remotes. You're, you're, you're fooling Lava. 
And Yaakov Avinu became very, very rich from all this. Extremely rich from all this. Look at all the sheep that he got. And Lavan got so upset, the B'nai Lavan were unbelievably upset. And I would think rightly so. Because in Lokal, Yaakov is called Asher Lavinu. Yaakov Avinu took everything that belonged to our father by these tricks. He never said he knew these types of things. He never said that he knew this type of thing. I never would have agreed to this, says Lavan. I never would have done to it. And we've shown him our literally up in arms. Was it okay? Was Yaakovino allowed to do this? Or was it Mamish Geneva? The Ibn Ezra has an opinion that it was, it was Geneva. But it was Mutter because Lavan was tricking him anyway. But it was Geneva. That's, why, that's how the Ibn Ezra, the Ramban says, no, it was okay because he wasn't doing it directly and he was doing it indirectly. So indirectly it was perfectly fine. But I don't understand. How could, number one, Yaakovino take advantage of Lavan like this? And number two, where's this Bitaqon and Hashem? Just let the sheep be born. Whatever you're supposed to get, you'll get. You got to do these tricks with the sticks and everything like that. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but you're supposed to. You have to do all that. Well, what are you supposed to do? I totally agree with you. Yo, there's no question you have to do ishtablus in whatever way. But this is a little strange type of ishtablus. A type of ishtablus that you tricked Lavan from. But you tricked Lavan. You could have told Lavan originally. Said, like, listen, I know all these types of tricks. Do you mind if I do this? And if Lavan said no, then you do something else. You know, I'm sorry? There's no need for full disclosure. It just looks bad on the outside. On the outside, B'nai Lovin looked at this and said, he's stealing all our stuff. And that's what I would say also if I was reading these Pesukim. He took all the stuff. And the Ramban says, it looks bad, it looks bad. But no, but he had a good reason for it. Quite by our time. 100%. In spot hole is the line in Tehillim. Yes, you can. The only question is, it still looks bad. So was Yaakov fighting fire with fire? Is that what he was doing? And until now, until I saw this with Wolfson, I honestly thought that. Yeah, I thought that that was probably shot. There was no other shot behind this. But still, there's something a little bit strange here. And I'll tell you. First of all, my Zabosimilabanu. This happens to us all the time. Whatever country we go to becomes extremely successful due to our intelligence. I mean, to, to our abilities to make money. Because all the shafa comes to us. And when we... Yeah, or media and movies, of course, yeah. But I, aside from that, as soon as we leave, something happens to that country. Spain lost all their power in the international community after they did the Inquisition. Although that could be put up for debate, how long that lasted and how long that was. But it is true that Spain and Portugal did not play a major role in any major world war past the times of the 1500s when the Jews left to Spain. That's number one. You look at Russia now. Now, granted, you can also look at Poland. Poland never had anything. <laughs> was like they, they were always Polish. Like, there was nothing they could do. But the, yeah, I mean, you look at Russia now. Okay, granted, Russia is tremendous in the black, mar- black arms and the black market and everything like that. But as soon as the Jews left, all of their high tech, all of their ideas, everything that happened, everything that Russia stood for is now in the dumps. They're not well known for that sort of stuff. They're known for their military exp- expertise. They're known for all these other things. But they're not known for the, 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 the Chachma that Russia was once known for, that Russia had during the times of the Cold War. Now, again, that could be put up for debate. Germany, Germany, as a powerhouse lost all their power after they tried destroying the Jews. After World War I, they were able to come back 20 years later and like, we're ready. <laughs> That's it. But after World War II, after they took care of the Jews, then it was a different story. There was nothing left. As soon as they got rid of the three Jews that knew how to make an atom bomb, they lost the war. 
because the three Jews who knew how to make Bannenbaum found Einstein. They started the Manhattan Project, and that's the reason why America was able to win the war against Japan. Without that, if Germany would have been Zoka to have those Jews, if Germany would have had that weaponry, had they known, there's no way they would have won the war. There was no one who came close to understanding the art of nuclear warfare. And to have an evil nation with that type of chokhmah in their hands, it's crazy what a Kurdish Baruch made them do. Here's the idea. And again, all these things could be put up for debate. Obviously, it could be put up for debate. But the idea is, is that our influence definitely influences a whole nation. It can definitely bring about these great things for them. But every nation always blames us for their money, money shortage. We cheat, we steal, we're usurers, you know, we lend with rivets. We do terrible things. We're the Shylock. We're the Shylock of every society. Uh, yeah, there is, a, there may be... I was thinking about the Arab countries as well. You know, I was thinking of Arab countries, and for some reason, it didn't, it didn't get me so much. Because Arab countries never expelled the Jews. Arab countries just... Yeah, and eventually, eventually, either the Jews left on their own or something different, so it might be a little bit different. I don't know, but they never involved them. I was thinking about that as I was writing this. I was like, what about the Arab countries? And I couldn't think of any that really had this effect to them. There wasn't any, really, because Iraq, there's still our Jews. Iran, there's still our Jews there. You know, there are still Jews in these places. Ancient Egypt is a great call, obviously. You know, that's what the miraculous, you know, all the miracles that was happening as soon as we left. Obviously, all of Egypt was destroyed in the southern nation and took over the northern nation. That's clear. Yeah. Morocco's only a tenth of, of what it used to be. Morocco, that's a good call also. But, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense also. All these types of things. I mean, we can look at it all over. This is Laban and Yaakov. That is Yaakov Vino. He looks like a liar, but let's look behind the scenes. Yaakov tells over to Rachel and Leah, he has a dream, and he's told to go. And he tells Leah and Rachel, you know, love and switch my wages a hundred times. He told me I'll take this, and he said take that, then he said take this, take that. He kept switching it over, right? And then it says, Pasuk Tess, in this week's parasha, God saved the sheep of your father, and he gave them to me. What do you mean, God saved? You did it. You made the sticks. God didn't do it. You're the one that did it. What is that? Then it says, When the sheep were in heat, I looked, I looked at my eyes, and I saw in my dream, I saw all these spotted and things of sheep. And a malach of God said to me, Here I am. Do you see all these spotted sheep? I saw everything that Lovin did to you, and I'm going to help you out. Says Rashi. It's an unbelievable Rashi. Even though Lovin took away all the spotted and striped sheep so that Yaakov wouldn't have any spotted or striped sheep to start with, still, uh, I'm sorry, the angels took those spotted and striped sheep at night and brought them into the flocks of Yaakov Avinu and then brought them back when they were done so that the sheep that were born would be spotted and striped and everything. Then what was with the sticks? What happened to the sticks? Yaakov tells over to Leah and Rachel and says over what happened. He said the Malachim did it. And Akash Baruch saved it all. What about the sticks? You did it, Yaakov. You were the one. You did the trick. Tesla Wilson, I never understood this. I'll be honest with you. I never understood this. And whenever somebody asked me anything about the sticks, I was just like, I don't know. It's all Kabbalah. It's all Kabbalah. I really had absolutely no idea what was going on. But he says an unreal thing. He says, really, Yaakov didn't do anything to make the sheep spotted or striped. There's no Chachmah beyond taking a stick and making those types of things. There's no Chachmah. That doesn't really work. It means nothing. It does absolutely nothing. The Malachim did everything. The angels were the ones who pulled over the sheep and brought them over here. The angels did it. So why do it 
at all. So why Yaakov didn't do it in the first place? Here's Peshat. Because Yaakov knew that there were Nisim happening. There were Nisim happening from the Malachim. The Malachim were pulling up the sheep and putting them over here. The Malachim were doing it for six years. And he didn't want the people to think that these huge miracles were happening because he was, he was humble. He didn't want anybody to think that it was a nace at all. So what did he do? He faked it. He pretended, he pretended that it was from these sticks. And he made all these little things. And everybody's like, that works? And he's like, I guess so. I guess so. And he never told anyone it was a malach. That was a kind of bully. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But why? Do, he did it to make sure that people didn't think that it was a nace, so that people thought it was him, when really it was just an unbelievable nace. Now, the lesson from it. him performing a miracle nonetheless? No, because they would say, no, it's a natural occurrence. You know, all these people like believe in skulas and things like that. Well, here's a skula. Here's a way to make your sheep striped. Oh, and it didn't work for you? I don't know. You know, it works for me, obviously. I'm perfectly fine. Oh, well, maybe they've tried it. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe nobody else wanted it. But it's true in Gullis as well. I, I, this is a hard line, but you have to hear it first, and then we'll try to explain what Benjamin just asked. Hashem gives us everything we need. If we had bitachon, I mean, pure bitachon, pure trust in God, all that money would come to us without having to do anything shady, without having to cheat, without having to lie, without having to steal. We would just say the truth, and if a Kurdish will give us that money automatically. It's not that I have to cheat or lie or steal to make that deal. No, the deal will come automatically. But because we don't have that bitachon, we do whatever we think we're doing on the side, and a Kurdish lets the miracle happen anyway. It's like we're playing with the sticks pretending that we're the ones that are making the sheep striped and spotted and giving us our own sheep. But it's not true. Kaddish Baruch down the scenes. He's giving us absolutely everything. He's giving us the money that we were supposed to get anyway. But we're getting it in the way that's not the best way in the world. That's not the best way in the world. I so why the Torah write it this way? I mean, come on. It makes Yaakov look out to be this, this Ghanif. You know, this Russia. Two answers. Number one, myself was similar to He's trying to show B'nai Israel what it's going to be like for us. We're going to look like thieves. We're not. We're going to look like liars? We're not. We're going to look like all these jerks? We're not. We're not Shylock. We're not Shakespeare's Shylock. We're not that guy who acts as, give me a pound of flesh. It's not who we are. It's never who we've ever been. Granted, there are people and there are Jews that have cheated the system, that have lied and whatever it was. Bernie Madoff, exactly what I was thinking. Exactly what I was thinking. Of course, there are people that have cheated the system and have done it. Who knows? Of course, of course. Yeah, let's not talk about the, the, the clients. But regardless, I mean, Bernie Madoff did what he did, and perhaps he would have been the billionaire, perhaps he would have been the billionaire that he was, even if he wouldn't have done a thing. Had he not done anything, who knows? But he did it in the wrong way, and he is paying that price. His name is known for the rest of time as the worst scammer of all time. The worst schemer, the worst scammer. He has people that are ready to kill him. His children don't like him. I mean, you can't imagine what kind of punishments he's under. Oh, granted, I, okay, that doesn't help the people who lost all that money. I hear you. I hear you. But regardless, we have no idea what would have been had Bernie Madoff not done it in that way. Who knows what would have been? The lesson is, that's number one. Myself was number one. The second answer is a little bit more soto stick. You know, going, getting into, you know, those types of things that we don't really, that we don't really know. And the idea is that a curse Baruch wants to show us that sometimes, but don't do it in a bad way. Do it in a way where you know HaKadosh Baruch Hu is behind you. 
And Yaakovino, although it looks bad on the outside, he knew he had to do it because Mikesh just felt over. That's how you got to deal with Bavam. But do it in a way where you know HaKadosh Baruch Hu will follow you and you're not doing it on your own. Do it on your own. God can't promise anything. You do it with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. God promises you'll be successful. With, even though it's going to look bad on the outside, try not to make that Chalul Hashem. Do it so that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be behind you because you know you're doing the right thing and work with it. It's not the greatest of answers, but at least it's a start. We have a psicha to understanding what was going on in this parsha. So very quickly, the summary is, there's Kritza Derech here. Kritza Derech over here by Yaakov, you know, means bringing the Kedusha to you. Number two, Yaakov wouldn't go up to help those who are down. I thought of that last night. I was very proud of that line. Yaakov, you know, wouldn't go up to help those who are down. I like that a lot with the ladder. Number three, Maizav was similar upon him. Yaakov felt the Hester upon him of Gullus. He felt the Hester upon him. He knew it was up. He knew God helps him sometimes, but doesn't help him other times. Lose versus base L. To live forever, we now have base L to be able to live forever. And the last thing is, Parshas Gullus. It's not trickery. It's to make the Nath happen. To make the Nisan that a Kodesh can make for us, to make those things happen. We'll stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos.